Welcome back to the Early Weigh-In Podcast. After a week off for the fights for the holidays, we had two Texas for UFC Austin, headlined by some lightweights, Benil Dairouche and Armin Sarukin in our five-round main event. Uh, co-main event also at lightweight, Jalen Turner stepping in on short notice to take on Bobby Green. You got Figueredo, Font, you know, Misha Tate on this card, Gaston, Brady. Pretty solid fight night, man. Uh, before we get started, please like and subscribe. Uh, Waste no time. Pass it over to you. Let you uh, talk about how we finished up at UFC, what, Vegas 82, I believe it was. And we'll jump into these 13 fights, man. Yeah, dude. Glad we had a week off. I was heated about my card for <laughs> a good minute. And uh, now it just seems like, yeah, that's that's MMA for you, you know. Uh, definitely had two different weeks looking at our cards. We'll take a look at your card first. Um, we were both on uh, two dogs. Neither one of them panned out. We were on the yeah. Paul Craig and the Jordan Levitt fights. Um, the Jordan Levitt thing, uh, I don't know, maybe Chase Hooper's really coming into his own, but, um, looking back on it, it's like Levitt has to control one of the best submission artists for 15 minutes to win that fight. Um, and he was more than willing to engage on the ground. That was, that was just a bad bet in hindsight, the Paul Craig, Brendan Allen fight. Um, I'd probably make that bet again. You know, like I, I know that he got, he got finished and everything, but there were there were live opportunities that Paul Craig had. Um, almost had a calf slicer. Uh, right. It was a it was a good scrap, and yeah. um, you know I don't hate that for a plus three fifty. You know, um, then you had Jose Johnson versus Chad and Helliger. A little bit of a sweat for minus one yeah. or for, for favorite money, but uh, he pulled through uh, a little one unit profit there. Um, the under two and a half rounds in the Pierce Brito fight. Uh, I think that was a good bet. Um, you know, I don't know how that fight looks if Brito doesn't wrap up that submission. Maybe it was two more rounds of Jonathan Pierce telling him to do something, <laughs> but uh, that one hit. Yeah. Um, and then Hebas, Luana Panero, scorecards, no action. Uh, Hebas, yeah, I don't know. That one was a Hebas showed that she was just at a different level, you know. Right. Um, Panero, definitely uh, dangerous. You know, I think that there's a lot of winnable fights in her future, but he boss think is just a, a step above her, Absolutely. you know, um, fight doesn't go the distance in the Saragi Lucas Alexander fight, probably the best bet on the card yep. so far, uh, minus minus one ninety. Um, Oh, okay. This one overtakes that one. Uh, you had Talbot wins in round two and three. Um, listen, man, and we're going to talk about my Nick Aguirre bet in just a <laughs> second, but I, Loved it. We the Talbot was even money after two rounds, and right. um, it's you know I guess it's nice that he got the finish, but he is a future fade. Talbot is definitely was definitely undeserving of the minus nine hundred. Uh, so I'm happy that you found a way to play that where you were at least getting plus money with finishes. Um, you hit for 0.5 units at plus eight hundred for four units. Um, definitely the best play on the card. Um, and then you had Eurosh Medic versus the Mirtik Beck Oral Buy. Uh, fight doesn't go the distance at minus 200. Another solid play. Uh, plus four, 4.5 units on the card. Definitely a good week for you. I'm looking at my card. Fuck, dude. It's a ton of red. Ton of red for these uh, straight picks. I went 0 and 5. Um, we talked about the Paul Craig, Jordan Levitt bets. Uh, Nick Aguirre at plus 550. I'll make that bet again, man. If you yeah. can get. The guy that you bet at plus five fifty at even money after round one, I make that bet every single time, man. Um, Jonathan Pierce versus Joe Anderson Brito. I was two units deep on Jonathan Pierce, but you know, thank, <laughs> thank, 
Thankfully, uh, I was a little superstitious before the fight and um, something talked me off on it. And so some I ended up hedging. Juju. <laughs> yeah, so just some bad juju. I ended up hedging off with Brito in round one and Brito round two. Um, uh, so I, I ended up, I think, making 0.2 units on that fight. Um, more than happy with that. Yeah. Um, man, this one, hardest, like toughest loss of the card and, and literally changed the outcome of this whole card. Uh, Kayo Machado versus Michael Parkin. I know that Parkin is not that good, you know, and for a plus 275 um, to have an argument that he won that fight. I really do think that maybe maybe the right guy won, but I think that there was an argument. And, and truthfully, the fact that Parkin won round three on two judges scorecards. Um, I, th- I mean, I think that Kyle Machado won that fight. He clearly won round one. Or I thought that he, the round one was close, but he won mm-hmm. round one. And then round three was the only one that I thought that he clearly won. And he didn't get that on two judges' scorecards. So <laughs> plus 275, another underdog that just did not come through. Um, I was also on, on the uh, Sergey Alexander fight. Well, that was my, like, play last yeah, week, right? Was. Yeah, it uh, yeah, that, that Jekka dude, you know, if he's in a fight and you can get minus 190 for fight doesn't go the distance, that's now 17 fights of his that have never seen the judges scorecards. Yeah. It's a really good fight. They're a really good, uh, really good play right there. Uh, the Parkin Machado fight doesn't go the distance. I probably should have laid off of that and just stuck with my uh, stab on the Machado mm-hmm. side. But I thought if Parkin was going to win, that he would have a whole lot more success in the striking than he did. And, um, Kyle's a, a tough dude. So it was a sloppy heavyweight fight. I probably overextended there. Um, my best bet on the night, maybe this uh, Jake Matthews, Michael Morales round three decision yeah. that was turning a minus 300 to a plus 155. Um, I really like that play. Brendan Allen versus Paul Craig ends by TKO at plus 100. I don't know. There was like a double knockdown at one point. <laughs> I mm-hmm. thought, you know, uh, that Paul Craig, he had lost like five of his six by KO. And I thought that Brendan Allen would find a tough time trying to submit somebody like Paul Craig. That was not the case. Uh, I took another shot on fight ends by TKO in the Medich oral by fight, which just explaining it, that was me taking Eurosh Medich. I thought that Eurosh was going to win this fight. And I thought that um, this way I kind of had some of oral B. I, I didn't know much about oral B. Um, but I, I did think that there was some upside in his striking as well. He could catch Yerosh if he tired out. Didn't expect that type of wrestling when he came in there. And to be honest with you, the shots that Yerosh Medich landed yeah, knocked really out half the division, dude. Yeah. You know, that dude's just from the mountains. Tough dude to fucking finish, man. Yeah. Um, Pudalova versus Eileen Perez. Fight doesn't go the distance. I'm honestly having trouble remembering this fight. Was there was there even a chance at plus 200? Well, yeah, Pudi Lova, like, took over late, had her in that rear naked choke in round three and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Another one where maybe I was just looking for a spot. And then my hedges on Brito. Ended up the night minus 5.8 units, essentially giving back all the profit that I had made the week before. Is what it is. MMA, like I said, I've kind of let let it uh, calm down a little bit. So, let's move on. To this week's fights, we start off in the flyweight division where we see Jamie Lynn Horth taking on Veronica Hardy. <clears throat> At the current price tag, I think that it's dogger pass. Um, I think if you got in on, on even money Horth, I understand it. I think that she'll have a significant size advantage. Um, yeah. And 
that being said, Veronica Hardy, when she is not gassed, I think she's a really, really good fighter, man. Uh, she stays on her bike. She chooses when she wants to engage. And um, when you do pressure her, she, she does a good job of countering with really hard shots that she'll sit down on and then can circle off that cage. Um, she has good head movement when she's disengaging from the clinch. And even in the scrambles, like we saw in the Juliana Miller fight, she's really strong hips. You know, she was able to turn around a lot of those takedown attempts that Miller had. Um, and then when she's on top, she has solid uh, top pressure and she looks pretty comfortable staying safe from the submission attempts, um, especially in that Juliana Miller, Miller fight. I think that her biggest issue at this point is that, uh, her, her physical size, you know, it, it, that means a lot in women's MMA. Um, when she does have a cardio jump uh, drop off, she looks awful. But this fight being at 125, um, I do think that she's improved a lot and her seven and four records a little bit misleading. Jamie Lynn Horth, the level of competition hasn't really been there for. Her, so I, I'd like to uh, I'd like to see this fight play out before I, I take a leap of faith on Jamie Lynn Horth here. It's probably a layoff fight, but if the line continues to move Hardy plus uh, 175, I'd probably get in on that. I think it's a 50, 50 fight. Yeah. So I did get in on Jamie Lynn Horth at the minus 110, the minus 127 is what I have her tracked at. You know, Veronica Hardy, it's hard. It's really hard for me to tell if, if after that layoff, she, is much improved because I don't think too highly of Juliana Miller. I've tried to fade her in the other two of her UFC fights and somehow just, you know, stayed off of Veronica Hardy at a big plus number here. I uh, I don't take too much stock into beating a, what I think is a very inexperienced um, Juliana Miller, someone I'm, I don't really think is, is ready for the UFC. With uh, Veronica Hardy, you kind of talked about her being on her bike. I think her footwork, her kickboxing on the outside, her best asset by far. She's probably going to hold a little speed advantage here as well. But uh, as far as well-rounding this, man, I like what I see from uh, from Horth. I think she's going to use that size and pressure to, I guess, kind of bully Veronica around. I think she'll put her on the fence, um, kind of be a lot stronger in the clinch. I think if anybody lands takedowns here, it's going to be Jamie Lynn Horth. I think if anybody has finishing upside here, it's Jamie Lynn Horth as well. So um, there's always better spots in lower level women's MMA, but um, I took a unit shot on on Jamie Lynn Horth here to start the night, man. Moving on up uh, to 170, we got Wellington Terman taking on Jared Gooden. Uh, honestly, it, it's a complete pass for me here. I see Terman as a much more put together fighter, the far superior, well rounded guy. I think I could I could see him winning by just about every method. I could see him winning by TKO. I could see him winning by submission, grinding out a decision, but. A minus 200 price tag is pretty hard to, to lay on a guy like Wellington Terman here. You know, down at 170 now, L2. It's not it's not happened in a while, but he's been TKO'd pretty badly up at 185. And I do think TKO is the only path Jared Gooden really has here to win. He's a pretty athletic, one-dimensional brawler. Feels KO or bust to me. And I don't know, not really sold on his durability either. I know he's only been, like, knocked out twice, but he seems to kind of be wobbled um, in, in some shots. I like Wellington Terman to land some takedowns here, uh, probably grind out some time, maybe have some close submission attempts, grind down a decision. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to bet Wellington Terman, but the fight, the fight probably one of the more easier fights for me to pass on the card, To just being honest with you. To me, it sounds like you laid out the play that you're, you're you know, you beat around it the whole time. You said that there's – you know, ways that Terman could finish this on the feet. There's ways that Terman could finish this by submission. And then Jared Gooden's a knockout or bust. Um, 
Yeah, dude, I, I think that the plus money under on this I was fight. you'd say that because I haven't noted, but I don't know if plus I money under on this fight is ridiculous, dude. Jared Gooden gives up his back a lot whenever he gets taken down. Um, that's Wellington Terman's bread and butter right there. Uh, Wellington Terman could easily submit him. Um, and then, like you said, Wellington Terman at minus 200, that sounds awful. He does have a, a chin that can be cracked. And Jared Gooden, if anything, he's kind of like Mike Perry. Like he. Yeah. He is subject to flatline somebody if he gets to swing in. Um, but I do think that Terman's probably the better of the two. And I think um, there are times where he gets caught in the slugfest and he has power himself. A lot of finishing upside for both guys and you're getting plus money. Um, I think a one unit shot is warranted and I might talk myself into two, you know, um, I really do like the under in this spot. I think both guys have some upside. So that's, that's something I got to hit if it's plus money. Likely to be on the same thing with you. Heck yeah. Um, <clears throat> moving up to the light heavyweight division, Ihor Poteria taking on Rodolfo Bellato. Um, you know, I think uh, Poteria, he's, he's um, unpredictable, man. But the one thing that you can guarantee is that he's going to go out on a shield. Um, he seems yeah. to really go for it when he, when he wants to. And I, I like the under one and a half here, um, simply because I think Bellato, um, is better all around. He has the upside if he takes it to the ground. And then I also think if it goes into a slugfest, he'll probably um, get the better of Ehor. But if it, if it is standing, Ehor does have potential to knock him out. Um, I don't see that happening, but I, I like the under in this one at uh, set at minus, or I'm sorry, the under one and a half here, um, as long as it's better than minus 200, I think that that's a solid play. Yeah. I think, uh, I think one of these boys hit the deck as well with Pretoria you know, I think, I think the way he could win is early TKO. It's going to make this line look pretty wide. You know, he's a pretty dangerous guy. Um, I don't think the UFC thinks too highly of him. You know, he's already lost two of his three UFC fights by pretty nasty knockouts. The UFC flew him down to to Brazil to take on Shogun and trying to find Shogun anybody to beat him. You know, when he when you look at his resume, it's pretty fraudulent. With Bellato, you're right, man. He looks like the far more well-rounded fighter. Could land takedowns, has a better gas tank. I trust him better in the pocket. Yeah, I think one of these guys hit the deck as well. I think if you play that under one and a half, you're probably going to cash that. I saw my tweet earlier on. I, I got a doesn't doesn't start round three parlay with, with these guys. I, I, I think we sit back and enjoy some violence on this fight as well, man. I, I like Bellato to get the job done inside the distance. Uh, another fun fight, man. Uh, Steve Garcia taking on Mel Costa. Uh, I don't think this one goes the distance either. Uh, Garcia is a guy who really comes to bang. 11 of his 14 wins are by TKO. He's not afraid to get in the pocket and, and sling sling the leather with you. You know, sometimes do his demise. I always think about your Mahashate round one plus 800 every single time I break down Steve Garcia. Uh, face planted him. The guy overextends with that left hand badly uh but he's huge for the weight class man um and you know i think a lot of guys are subject to get caught with him if, if they're not careful but with costa a 27 year old man the guy who's evolving uh still making leaps and bounds i thought he you know he kind of impressed me in the in the debut against tiago moises at least early on i thought he looked pretty good he just kind of didn't have the gas tank on short notice to keep up with him I think he's going to look a lot faster on the feet. I think his shots are a lot straighter when Garcia's swinging that big left hand. Um, I think Mel's just a little bit quicker, like I said, beats him to the punch, favor his durability, take down submission upside. 
I'm not really a fan of the minus 200 price tag just because I think early on a lot of fights with Steve Garcia are a little bit wild, a little bit volatile. But down the stretch, um, I do favor Mel Costa to likely get the finish. I don't, I don't think I'll have any action here, but he's the pick for me, man. You know, like barring the first round knockout, um, where you know uh, Garcia isn't able to settle into the fight, uh, I do think that he's like, extremely durable, and uh, I kind of worry about Costa outclassing him, but um, playing it a little safer, mixing in some wrestling, and and just wearing down on him. Um, yeah, I, I think that you, you touched on Garcia being a little reckless with his entries. He overextends on his shots and Melt Costa does a really good job of baiting people in and, and countering, um, like he did in the lingo fight. Yeah. Uh, I think that he's subject to, to land a couple of really good shots on Garcia and then mix in the wrestling and wind up on top. I expect Milk to get this win, but, uh, I think Garcia is a dog, man. So yeah, he is. It, it, I think it'll be a really good fight. I just don't have a great read on it to try and make a play on uh, plus two hundred that I pretty much feel like is outclassed everywhere except for Hart. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's hard to make a case for that at plus two hundred. So it's a layoff fight for me, but one I'm definitely going to be tuning in for. Um, moving up to one fifty five, Joe Selecki versus Drakkar Close. Man, you know, like I was really tempted to throw four units on on Drakkar Close. Like I think that he's better than Selecki just about everywhere. Um, There are a couple of things that worry me, and it's if Close gets on the mat, I think that he could easily get backpacked. But that's like – it's like breaking down um, – I'll I'll think of it in a second, but Drakkar close, he could give up his back and Selecki could backpack him. Aljamain Sterling and and Peter Yan. Like that's how Aljamain Sterling would win that fight is by being able to backpack him for a few rounds. And that's exactly what he did. And I think that this is a fight where that's subject to happen. Although I think that Drakkar close is the stronger fighter, the better striker. And if it was just pure wrestling, I think he's a better wrestler. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was really tempted to lay some money on close, but there are some defensive holes in his grappling that have kept me off of that. Um, but I, I do favor him. If I could get it at like even money by fight time, I would consider just laying a unit on him and hoping for the best. Um, but at the current price tag, I don't really feel like laying money on um, somebody, uh, like laying favorite odds on somebody that I see some some pretty big holes. Yeah, and if and if you did, and Selecki does win this fight the way he does, make that four units so just the shittiest way to lose, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I, and I do think that's I do think Selecki's going to have success with it. I got a one unit shot at plus one ten. I do think there's a gap on the feet. Of course, I favor uh, close there, and I, I do think close has got the the better gas tank. That's a little bit of a worry for Selecki down the stretch, but close really isn't much of a finisher at all either. Uh, does he's not really a guy who pushes on the gas tank has a sense of urgency a lot of his fights are going to close decisions um and, and when you watch his fights you know Benil Dairouche is elite but Benil Dairouche does backpack him for the entire round one you know Hoffa Garcia lands I think three takedowns on him and isn't busy with a takedown and I believe in round three but the ref stands him up in the third round yeah you know Dracar Close didn't get up from that takedown. There's a couple other guys like Lando, Mark Casey that's landed takedowns in the past. And I just feel like that's that's Joe Selecki's bread and butter, man. And at plus one ten, I I think there's I think there's a gap. 
I think there's a gap on the mat, and I, I do like Selecki to eventually land a takedown, grind out a lot of time here. Wrestlers at plus money are always tempting to me as well. Um, again, if there's finishing upside, I, I think it's a submission from Selecki. I don't really like, you know, like I said, close isn't too much of a finisher. So uh, a bit of a disagreement here, but uh, I, I'm definitely not four units confident on Selecki, but I do like a wrestler always at plus money. Here's a here's a fight that how that I could see this playing out very similar similarly to is the Jared Gordon fight and Joe Selecki, where Drakkar kind of negates a lot of the the grappling success that Selecki needs to have, and we we have kind of a a close shitty fight um and close yeah. just edges it out you know that that's really how i see it going but not enough not hard enough to lay to lay like yeah. yeah hard to lay juice when you see it playing like that <clears throat> is this you or me uh thank you nice cody brundage versus zachary's uh i uh i was lucky enough to cash the round one tko dq ticket for cody brundage last time as dirty as it felt um was nice little hedge to my Malcoon parlays. And here he is, quick turnaround, underdog again. You know, Cody Brundage, I don't I don't know if gas after round one is really the right word, but I think the guy loses confidence pretty quickly if the fight doesn't go his way early, kind of just checks out. You know, the fight IQ isn't there. He's jumping guillotine on a fresh Rodolfo Vieira. When he gets put on his back, doesn't really offer much. Dude, Zach, Zach Reese at minus 250 in a debut, it's not deserving in my eyes. Just it truly isn't. Um, you know, the guy is very inexperienced. The competition's horrible. Never seen a fifth minute. I, I just feel like if it was anybody but if anybody but Cody Brundage, and, and I'd be taking the dog shot here, it's just it's hard to play Cody Brundage. I, I feel like I would want like plus – I would want north of plus 200 before I touch Cody Brundage. So I can't do plus 170, whatever it's sitting at. I want like plus 230. Cody Brundage is a uh, he's a pretty flaky fighter. You see him out here uh, like blocking people or locking his locking his social medias and stuff after the Malcoon thing. I just, I don't know, man. Hard, hard place to back him. I think Zachary's might end up getting the job done early. No bet for me what you think about this one. Uh, yeah, dude. I think that this is a uh, automatic Reese sub round one plus three ninety, and I've already played it. Um, I I think that, like you said, he hasn't seen a fifth minute. Cody Brundage is going to try and get the wrestling going, and he's yeah. probably going to leave his neck out there. He's if he does get it to the ground, like I think this Reese guy, for what it's worth, he's shown us that he has about five minutes of legit dangerous submission attempts um mm-hmm. sure he could knock him out but just at the current price tag how i'm looking that this fight plays out the sub round one plus 390 it's like it needs to happen 20 percent of the time and i think it happens 30 percent of the time you know so okay. uh i like that play <laughs> and or she was win condition to be plus 390 yeah i think so as well uh, but another one where it's like, I'm not going heavy on that no matter what. It's a yeah. play where we want to see if Reese is UFC level. And uh, I guess Cody Brundage is a, is a decent person. I, about to say, to I don't even know if this fight would tell us that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, moving down to the women's Bantamweight. Uh, it's our prelim main event. Misha Tate taking on Julia Alvia. Um 
I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not sold on Misha Tate at this point in her career. Um I I'm definitely leaning towards Alvia. I think that she also like she could probably make Misha quit if she stays on her. Um, I'm kind of looking at the Alvia inside the distance, but then I'm also asking myself, like, how much do I want to get invested on this fight? Um, I certainly like the inside the distance line better than laying minus 145 on um, Al- Alvia. So, um, yeah, I- I'm on the Alvia side, not with a lot of conviction, but if I did play her, I'd probably play her inside the distance. You know, looking online, Misha Tate, she looks to be in pretty good shape and everything, man. Um, but I, I, th- I think I'm on the same side um, with you as Julia Vila, but staying far away from it. You know, she's got plenty of red flags coming back off of a, a two-and-a-half-year layoff at 35 years old. She's had ACL surgery or something. She had a kid. You know, I, it almost feels like the UFC is is throwing Misha Tate one of the easier fights that she's going to get. You know, it's almost like Marion Renault all over again. And I don't know, man. I think while there's questions Julia Vila could be washed coming back, I think it's well known that Misha Tate is, is far past the prime. You know, she's got so many fight miles on her. I feel like the game's just past her at this point. I know it was a drop to 125, but, man, <laughs> Lauren Murphy whooping up on you is not a good look at all. She's 40 years old as well. Uh, but Misha is grindy. She can land some takedowns. She's, You know, she could put a Vila on the fence. I don't know, man. Um, but, but Julia's got some killer instinct to her when she lets her hands go. She's got some power. It could be enough, like you said, to deter Tate and even to even stop Misha Tate. So I like the side that you're on. Um Likely a big stay away from me, though. I do have some action, though. Uh, kicking off our main card, we got Clay Guido uh, taking on Joaquin Silva. And, dude, I um, I really almost, like, smashed the Joaquin Joaquin Silva line at minus 200. Kind of wanted to sleep on it and wake uh, up to skip. minus 350. What would you say? Nothing. You're good. I was just saying, I was about to smash it. Kind of was thinking about sleeping on it. Like, you know, old man Guido's going to come through every now and then wake up to it being almost like minus 350 so it's like really had to find a, a different way to play this fight and i think the power athleticism everything of joaquin silva is uh is going to be too much for the the old man clay guida here i feel like a lot of the time clay guida comes back it's weathering that storm you know we just saw we just saw silva's grappling wrestling defense tested by a, a far better guy in armin sarukin you know looked good still worked back to his feet cardio looked good and, and even hurt you know, even hurt Armin at one point. So I feel like, I don't know. I feel like you could go back and watch tape of that fight alone and just know that that's enough to, to beat the 41-year-old Clay Guida here. You know, Clay Guida's lost inside the distance plenty of times here. Clear evidence the guy's slowing down. Getting outstruck by Mark Madsen for 15 minutes was not a good look. So uh, I'm on under two and a half here. 1.5 units in total. Uh, lines at minus 145 and minus 130. Um, I like violence here in this fight. Um, I also like violence, but I'm pretty much only on the Silva side. Uh, I think Silva does it however he wants, to be honest with you. Um, if you can get like minus 110 on Silva, that's how I'm looking at it. Guida has been finished like 13 times in his career. And uh, when Silva wins, he usually does it in pretty emphatic fashion. So um, uh, I'm picking him inside the distance. I, I don't really know how I'm going to tackle it, but 
somehow I'll be on the fight doesn't go the distance, whether it's just the Silva side or with you on the under two and a half. I'll somehow figure out a way to play that. But uh, I, I like the read as far as how the fight's going to play out. I do think that Guida's uh, way over the hill. So I see what you're saying. I accidentally skipped Punahele. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, <laughs> fight before that last one, but still on the main card, Punahele Soriano taking on Dustin Stolzfus. Um, I'm on the Punahele Soriano fight. I think that he gets the finish here. Um, it's minus 125, and that's way better than playing him at uh, what is it at right now? It's like minus 300. Yeah, minus 300, minus 320. Um, I do think that Stolzfus isn't the most durable of guys. Uh, Punahele hits really, really hard. Yeah. Um, I think that he'll find the finish. So I'm on the Punahele Soriano side. About as confident as I am about the. Joaquin Silva getting a finish, you know? So yeah. That's how I see both those fights. And it's a way that I can get both minus 300s down to near even money. So, yeah, I'm on a, I got Puna straight two units at minus 250 before that line. Um, started getting hit. <clears throat> just, he was like a, he's just kind of ended up being one of my, uh, one of my favorite, most confident plays this week. So I, I didn't really want to parlay the money line with anything else. And a lot of times just consider myself more of a money line better. Than, than anything. So I stuck with him straight here. And I was really hoping to get a better line on Puna's next fight after after the loss to Kopilov. Um, a loss that's not really aging poorly whatsoever and I think was just a horrible stylistic matchup for, for Puna. Where this one, much more generous for him. Um, I like Puna's training situation. Great coach. Great gym. Dude's got heart. He's extremely durable. And even when Puna's like slowing down in fights, um, he fights through it, man. Um, he's got underrated wrestling and, and, of course, big pop in the hands. With Stolzfus, I just I feel like he has nothing for Puna on the feet. I feel like he's gonna he's gonna be shooting, and uh, I, I like what I see from Puna to stuff these takedowns and light dust and Stolzfus up on the feet. Even even when this dude's having success, it seems like he finds a way to to kind of drop the ball, fade in fights, and lose in round three. So uh, I'm big on Puna this week, man. Um, I think if you bet him inside the distance, likely to cash that too. Um, getting into the real meat of the card, man. A uh, good fight between Sean Brady and Kelvin Gastelum at 170. Um, I think, um, you know, only like the second fight of the night or something that we're on opposite sides here. Uh, Sean Brady, to me, he's a young prospect that's still evolving, man. You know, I know these guys are very similar in age, but Sean Brady is someone who doesn't have all these type of fight miles on him. I was live at the Kelvin Gastelum-Izzy fight. Man, you know, it's surprising that, you know, Izzy took some damage there, but it to me it was kind of clear that Kelvin's maybe not been the same since the fight, you know. Um, really kind of left left a lot of himself in the cage that night, and here he is trying to make 170 for the first time in a long time. And it could be just a lot of people kind of buying low on Sean Brady, thinking low of him after the Bilal fight. And, and I know Bilal doesn't stop many people, but Bilal's kind of proven himself to be a top welterweight. You talk about Sean Brady in an interview saying it's the first time he even fought out of the United States, had to fly over to Abu Dhabi to fight, big time difference and stuff. Um, it was just something the guy hadn't had before. And he's a guy on the mat. People talk about, you know, his training partners talk about his squeeze, how strong he is, the ability to uh, get the body lock, get you down and backpack. And, at least early on in the fight, I think I think I think he's going to have success with it. But there is really always the potential for Sean Brady to slow down in fights with the muscled up frame that he has, the the real energy that it takes to get these guys down to the mat, being so short and stocky like he is. And while I think guys like Bilal, who have excellent cardio, could capitalize on that, 
I'm worried that this cut to 170 for Kelvin is, is going to not allow him to step on the gas when needed. So um, I see the fight playing out pretty close. I do think it goes to decision at a high clip. And while I, I kind of favor Brady, I don't see where Brady runs away with the fight. So I can't lay the I can't lay the chalk on him, although it's going to be my pick. Uh, but I think we disagree here. I think you got a little play on Gastelum here. Yeah, I like Gastelum here, man. I think he's been fighting bigger guys his whole career, five-round fights his whole career. Um, as long as he comes into this and makes weight good, um, you know, I, I think that under Henry uh, Henry Cejudo's tutelage mm-hmm. that uh, he's in good hands, man. Like, I think that if he's got his weight down, um, Henry said it himself, you know, he has all the tools to become a champion. And I, I really do believe that. If he can make Sean Brady work for – uh, the first round, uh, I think that he could absolutely break him exactly like Bilal Muhammad did. He stopped every single one of the takedowns. And we've seen Kelvin Gastelum fight uh, much bigger wrestlers um, in, you know, Sosa or uh, Kel- uh, Chris Weidman. Um, Tim Kennedy's a really good fight to look at. Tim Kennedy's landed three takedowns in their fight. And then Kelvin Gastelum in the third round knocked his ass out. I really mm-hmm. do think that this fight could look exactly like that. If Kelvin Gastelum can avoid the submission, because you're right, um, Sean Brady, his his uh, grappling is not to be scoffed at. Like he has got a very strong squeeze. Um, I, I believe that. And Kelvin Gastelum does have a little bit of a habit of giving up his back when he is trying to return to his feet. Um, so that could be an issue. But outside of that, like, I really think that Kelvin Gastelum holds a lot of advantages here. Um, and ultimately, I think that he has the uh, championship experience that he could he could uh, break Sean Brady just the same way that Bilal Muhammad did. So I'm on Kelvin Gastelum at one and a half units plus 110. Uh, yeah. I really like that bet, man. Like, I I think that that's a, a solid bet, and I'd, I'd like to see Sean Brady prove me wrong because he truly hasn't been tested that much. That that Bilal Muhammad fight was um, levels above the the best competition he had faced up until that point, and I think Kelvin Gastelum's like somewhere in between what he's been facing and Bilal Muhammad. So this is a really good litmus test to see if Sean Brady is the real deal or if he's just a can crusher. And uh, I love Kelvin Gastelum here at Plus Money. So. Best luck to you. <clears throat> Appreciate that. Moving down to, you know, this might be fight of the night for a lot of people, man. Um, it's the Bantamweight division, Rob Font versus Davison Figueredo. Weird line movement, man. Um, you know, it started off earlier in the week at like the minus 190 range. It shot back down to minus 130, and then now it's kind of middling out between those. Um, I think that Font's the better striker. But that being said, I think that we don't really know what to expect from Figgy coming up to this weight class. Um, if he does size up well to Rob Font, I think that he has the power to stop Rob. Um, Rob does have a like a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage, and I think that he could obviously pop that jab and really stick Figgy a couple times. Um, but if Figgy is able to close the distance, I do think that he has that uh, KO power. And then he's obviously a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He can lock up any submission. And uh, I think that he has all the potential to get a finish here. Um, same as Rob Font over three rounds, that jab's going to eat away at Figueredo and he might end up finding the kill shot. Um, so the under is what I like on this fight. Um, I think that we've got two 
I, I don't. I like the fact that we haven't seen Figgy. I think that he could come in undersized and Rob Font look like a stud. And then yeah. I also think that Figgy could show us that he's still just as dangerous, 10 pounds apart from what the weight class that he was absolutely running. Um, so, yeah, potential for finishes on both sides. And I think I'm on the under in this fight. I uh, was one of the people that completely misread this line movement on Rob Font. I'm two units deep on him at minus 185 here. Um, you know, I think Figgy released that picture of himself at fight ready, looking shredded. I think a lot of people putting stock into his, into that and, uh, potentially how much the weight cut was taken out of him at 125. But, you know, typically, I don't know, man. I know Rob Fonts never held a belt, never fought for a belt, but I think it's in a much tougher division, man. I, I, I just rate Rob Font as a better fighter than Figueredo in my mind. I, I really do, you know, just – and then talk about the size and reach advantage here, the way he uses that jab, the size is going to be nice. we got a bigger cage here for him to use that footwork and stuff to keep his distance. And while his chin does get some flack, he's not been stopped by shots before. You know, Cheeto Vera kicked him in the – front kick into the face and he still didn't get stopped. So I don't know. And also I'm not really in the business of betting TKOs at, at Bantamweight when the guy we're banking on getting that used to be a, a flyweight. I don't know, man. I, uh, I'm not necessarily sold on Figgy. I think he was kind of a weight bully at 125 with the power and stuff. And as soon as those weight cuts kind of got hard and he couldn't do it, he went running, man. Um, I don't really think Figueredo has too many fights left in his career. To be honest, I think he's made his money at 35. You know, moving to the United States for fight camps isn't fun anymore. I truly think this is a – if it doesn't go well at Bantamweight, I think we see Figueredo retire pretty soon. I like Rob Font to get the job done here. Um, I could see a late finish. I could see a decision, but uh, I'm pretty confident on him, man. I like Rob Font to get the job done. Another thing we didn't touch on is this is Figgy's first unique opponent in three years, man. He right. had a quadrilogy with Brandon Moreno, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's anybody's guess what he's going to look like against somebody other than Brandon Moreno when he just hit the thirty-five mark at one hundred and thirty-five pounds. Like there is usually right. a pretty significant drop off at that point for Brazilians, in particular, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, co-main event: Jalen Turner taking on Bobby Green. You know, we lost Dan Hooker here, man, but still ended up with a with a dang good fight. Am I starting this one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first saw this fight announced, I was a, I was kind of confident in Jalen Turner. Um, looking, you know, through Twitter, the media day interviews and stuff, you know, Jalen Turner is kind of talking about how he kind of felt forced to take the fight and – I don't know, man. I'm just – I'm not getting the best, like, mentality vibe from him. I don't get a ton of confidence from him. He just kind of didn't look himself. Um, I do know early on in this fight he's he's going to be an absolute handful for Bobby Green. You know, he's got that big cage to use his range that he wants to. It's going to be Bobby who's going to have to try to close that space. I love the front kick that Jalen Turner uses. It's nasty the way he switches levels to it. He'll kick your legs, your body. He'll go up top with it. There's not a lot of guys that are eating what Dan Hooker did in the second round there. You know, Bobby already keeps his hands low. I feel like the head kick is there. You know, you've heard Brad Riddell just talk about the power um, that Jalen Turner has. This guy's six foot three for lightweight, man. Um, but that also brings you to the point where he missed weight last time, and now he's taking it on short notice after Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, there's a chance he doesn't make weight again here. And I feel like, I feel like Bobby Green is – doesn't care. So I almost feel like it could be to his demise where Jalen Turner just 
is a weight bully and comes in here and gets the job done early, or it could be kind of like the, the Dan Hooker fight where he starts to slow down and Bobby starts to take over early. I, I really wish that Bobby offered more of a, a wrestling threat here than just kind of a boxing threat. Cause I don't know if he's going to have the, you know, what it takes to wear on that gas tank of Turner. I'm, I'm going to pick Jalen Turner but I do think live betting Bobby Green somewhere in the second round honestly could be a really, really good play if you start seeing the tides turning. Um, so, dude, I I really think that this is the way that you play the fight, man. The under. Like, I, I can't get away <laughs> from it, man. You look at Jalen Turner uh, before fighting Mateusz Gamrod, who is a decision machine, and then Dan Hooker, who has an ungodly chin. Um, he's on a five-fight first or second round finishing streak. And then Bobby Green, on the other hand, you know, he's 37 now and was known as the split decision king. He's now five fights in a row, not seeing the judges' scorecards. This is an absolute banger, dude. You got Jalen Turner, who's not going to make weight. He's probably going to have to give up a percentage of his purse, so he probably won't have the best cardio. He's he's going to be bonus hunting. What was that? Going to bonus hunt to replace that percentage. Going to bonus hunt. Bobby Green, who's been knocked out now a couple times, or finished at least a couple times when he was never getting finished, and it seems like he's becoming way more aggressive with his striking. Dude, I think that this has underwritten all over it, and you're getting the under two and a half at minus, or plus 105, and you can get the fight doesn't go at like minus 150. Um, I think that Turner is the one who's more, has more upside for the finish, but Bobby Green... Um, definitely known to have the cardio and everything. And if that's not up to par on Jalen Turner's size, uh, Green can expose that down the line. So I like the under in this fight way more than I like trying to pick a side right here. I like it. Um, Moving on to the main event, uh, Benil Dariush taking on Armin Saryukin at minus or at 155. I'm going to start this off by saying I got a hundred bucks (laughs) on Saryukin minus 105. And since the lines moved to minus 300, um, it's obviously dogger pass to me at this point. Um, it, it's really turned me off from trying to play Saryukin, even though I do see him having the edge here. Um, this is not a like a clean-cut win by any means. Dariush is one of the highest level 155ers on the planet. Um, I have a hard time believing that anybody's going to come in there and just absolutely wipe the floor with him. Obviously, we saw a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of that against Charles Oliveira, but he's also kind of an exception to that rule as well. Um, I think when you get two guys who are this high level wrestlers, um, you get a, a fight on the feet. And although I do think that Saryukin has a lot of upside in, in where he's at in his career, um, I do think that he's a little unpolished on the feet for what I would like to play at minus 300. Uh, Benil certainly puts himself in the positions to get the finish. He throws some pretty wild stuff and he throws really, really hard. Um, at the current price tag, I think that it is only dogger pass right here. And even though I've got, sorry, you can take it at, at even money, you know, Benny at plus 250 seems a, a little outrageous, man. You know, I might just put a hundred dollars on Benil Dariush and it'll be a, a free $150 if Benny wins and mm-hmm. uh, just a, a null bet if Saryukin wins. Um, just the price tag's ridiculous. So, um, Saryukin, I think in an even fight, I think I think he's going to edge this out. I have a hard time believing he's just going to run away with this fight. Benny's got really, really good defensive grappling. We saw that in the Mateusz Gamrot fight. 
Uh, he forces some really wild scrambles. And if Saryukin isn't bringing a lot of damage from the top control he hopes to have, um, I don't think that he's going to just wipe the floor with him. So Saryukin's the pick. That's uh, that's final. So. You didn't want to track that minus 105? I wanted to, dude. I wanted to, but I didn't even have to fight up the time that <laughs> I hit it on DK and is what it is. I'm just messing with <laughs> you. Uh, I respect you not tracking it. Um <laughs> I did track the minus 195 there that sat there for a couple days, though. Um, and, and even with that line, both of us still sitting pretty uh, looking at the current line, you know. And you're right. Uh, I'm glad you talked up Benil, man. He's got a very respectable game, um, you know, dating back to a nasty, nasty, you know, jujitsu gi game, uh, competing all the time. The guys, like you said, in the Mateo Scamra fight showed me he has phenomenal scrambles. He'll dive on a leg to get back to his feet. Southpaw stance, man. Nice left hand, the one he cracked Mateus with. You, you could probably heard that a mile away. He's got a nice body kick. And and you know, I I, we, I think we were both on Gamrot that night, and it was kind of like a it was kind of a fight that I was just like, oh shit, man. You know, Benil does does still have it because prior to that, you know, when he got knocked out by Alexander Hernandez and and Edson Barboza, like. I didn't really think Benel Dairouche would ever be a top five lightweight in the world ever again. Um, and, and the fight with Charles, I'm kind of, I'm kind of starting to edge back toward, I think Benny could be on decline, man. You know, it was round one. It was a high pace fight. It looked like the cardio was already slipping badly in that fight. Um, and now he's in a, he's in a, a shark tank of a division where, you know, you got to get through three more absolute killers probably before you get a title shot. And here he is at the, age of I'm, I'm sure 35 or older 37 years old or something I hadn't even looked i, I question hey, um i just looked and it, it was a surprise to me that dude's only 34 man okay. i think that the grayness kind of makes little, it look different white stripe <laughs> yeah dude but i was i was hey. super surprised seeing that he's only hey. 34 you're right hey that is a bit surprising to me as well but what is Armin? Twenty-seven, something like that I, I you know i feel like there's a gap in age gap in athleticism um, I really think that wrestling is going to wear on Benil and really break him down the stretch. On the feet, it is a little bit closer than I like, but I think if who's more likely to end the fight on the feet, I do think that's Armin as well. So um, I don't know. I'd, I'd see one guy who I do think will be will kind of be calling it quits within the next five fights, and one guy who's fighting for gold, maybe you know potentially holding gold in the next five fights in Armin Tyrukin. So anything under like minus two two hundred two. 25 i think i think you could still play armin but at minus 350 there is probably some value on benny dirush um i really don't trust his gas tank in a five-round fight after seeing how quickly i thought he was fading against charles so i do like armin to get the job done here brings us through all 13 fights uh, i think you and i both might have quite a bit of action come saturday i think there's quite a bit of finishes quite a bit of unders we're looking at so it should be an exciting fight back in front of the austin crowd appreciate you guys hanging out we'll see you next week Peace.